Good day, church family. Looking forward to studying God's Word with you today. It's a great blessing to have God's Word recorded for us to study and search. Although we sometimes take that privilege for granted, don't we? And happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are listening today, too. Being a mom is a challenging task. I pray today that you were able to enjoy some of the blessing that goes with the great responsibility. We have been looking at a number of parables in chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. It has been said that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus used these stories to both connect with his audience and help them understand, and also to veil the meaning from some of the audience who already refused to listen to the clear things he taught. So far, we have looked at the parable of the soils. Jesus told the story of a farmer sowing seed by broadcasting it, and it fell on various types of soil conditions. His purpose was to teach us about how our hearts, the soil, receive the teaching of the gospel, the seed. The parable of the tares was the next one. Jesus told the story of an enemy sowing tares, a wheat-like weed, in a man's field, which would cause economic damage and, and even disaster. The owner of the field instructed his workers to wait until the harvest, then collect both and keep the wheat, but bundle the tares up and burn them. He told this story to signify that among true believers of the gospel, there will also be those who mimic true followers, but they are fruitless. They are planted by our enemy, the devil, and their end will be the eternal fire of hell. There was also the parable of the mustard seed. A mustard seed is small, but grows into a plant of significant size. Similarly, the kingdom of heaven may start small, but it will grow into something very large. And the parable of the leaven. Similar to the parable of the mustard seed, a woman hides a small amount of leaven in a large amount of flour, and it eventually leavens everything. The kingdom of heaven, though seemingly small and insignificant in the world's eyes, say, in the life of a believer, can have very far-reaching impact. Each of these parables begins with the refrain, the kingdom of heaven is like, with the exception of the first parable. The fact that Jesus used so many different parables to help us understand different aspects of the kingdom of heaven should be a caution to us not to try to read too much into any one parable, to extrapolate, but rather to stick to what is clearly there in the parable for us to see. And for the parables we're going to look at today, both of which are very short, both fitting into merely three verses, this is precisely the approach we are going to take. So let's take a look at today's parables. Turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 44. Matthew 13, verse 44. The parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The parable of the pearl of great value. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's ask for God's leading as we delve into these two small parables. 
Father, you have given us your word to understand what your intent and design is for us. And for those of us who are your children, you have given your Holy Spirit to help us understand these things. Father, open our eyes to see your greatness and the incomparable value of knowing you. Amen. As we study these two brief parables, I'd like us to come away with four points we will learn from these parables that Jesus told. The first point is this. The kingdom of heaven is a priceless treasure. Let's take a look at that first parable. Here we have the story of a man who discovers a treasure buried in a field. Haven't we all at some point in our lives dreamed of what it would be like to discover a hidden treasure? I love watching the Antiques Roadshow and hearing stories of people who bought a painting at a yard sale for $50 only to discover it was done by a famous artist and was worth several thousand dollars. And who doesn't love stories about people who do a renovation in their homes only to find a stash of valuable coins hidden in a wall or an attic? One gardener in the UK was pulling weeds in the yard when he stumbled upon a hoard of 63 gold coins and one silver coin from the 15th century, worth thousands. Almost makes you want to go out and take on those dandelions, doesn't it? In Jesus' time, it was not uncommon for people to bury their valuables in holes in the ground for safekeeping from marauders or conquering countries. The original owner perhaps dies, and no one knows the whereabouts of the treasure until it is stumbled upon. In our story, this man finds a treasure, but its owner is unknown. It doesn't belong to the owner of the field, or he would have removed it before selling the field. Under Jewish law, the finder of such hidden treasure was allowed to keep it. Perhaps that's the source of the famous children saying, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But recognizing the great value of the treasure, he sells everything he has in order to buy that field and acquire the treasure. It is worth giving up everything he has. The second parable is similar. In this story, we meet a merchant who seeks fine quality pearls, presumably to buy in order to sell them again. Then the merchant comes across the pearl. And again, just like in the first parable, he sells everything he has, including all of the valuable pearls he already has, and buys it. It is worth giving up everything he has. And this is Jesus' key point. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it is such a priceless treasure that it is worth giving up everything you have in order to acquire it. And the corollary is this. Even though gaining the kingdom of heaven will cost you everything you have, you will have a priceless treasure. Back in my youth, I once owned a 1967 Ford Fairlane 500 XL convertible. I put a picture of it on the FO Friends chat. It was candy apple red with a red interior, a white convertible top, and lots of chrome. People would say to me, don't ever sell that car. It is a beauty. And I agreed with them. I swore that nothing could ever get me to sell my baby. And then, one day, I met a young woman named Judy. 
Now, before you get the idea that she convinced me or even coerced me to sell my car, let me assure you that she did nothing of the sort. She never once suggested to me to sell that lovely red convertible. The moment came when I realized the treasure I had in her, and suddenly what had always been of such great value to me paled in comparison. It was a relatively easy decision to sell my car so that the money from the sale could be used to begin our life together. I used the money to pay off all my debts and to buy an engagement ring, and I never looked back. It was the best deal I ever made, men. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 4, refers to the pricelessness of what we have. He refers to it as an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. And Paul in Philippians 3 talks about all the achievements that he once treasured, all the credentials that he once so greatly valued. He writes in verses 4 to 6, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then he says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. You see, the great value of being married is not that I get to say, I have a wife, or that I get to wear a ring, or that I own an embossed certificate of marriage. The value of being married is in knowing and being known by my wife, the one I love and the one who loves me. Even more so, the inestimable value that is found in the kingdom of heaven is not found in the kingdom itself. It's not in the location of that kingdom or in the majesty and splendor of the structures or in the precious stones and such that form the building materials. No, the matchless value of the kingdom of heaven is found in knowing the king of that kingdom. It's not found in acquiring things, but in knowing and being known by, in loving and being loved by a person, the person of Jesus Christ. This is what makes the kingdom of heaven a priceless treasure. So you might be asking now, does the parable tell me anything about how to acquire this kingdom of heaven? And that brings me to my second point. The kingdom of heaven is, is available to all. Earlier, I indicated that the two parables were similar. Both had the focus of acquiring something priceless. But there was also a distinct difference, and it's this. The first individual wasn't looking for the treasure, while the second individual was. Yet both found it. Both acknowledged what they had found, and both recognized its value. 
Some people I know testify that they were absolutely not looking for salvation or a relationship with God when they stumbled across the gospel. I've even heard testimonies of people who were dead set against God when they realized the truth of the gospel. Others, on the other hand, have told stories of how they were searching for years, perhaps, and when they found the Jesus of the Bible, they realized they had finally found what they had been looking for all along. Consider the story of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. It reads like this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Paul was literally blindsided by Jesus, yes, pun intended, on the road to Damascus. He was not seeking him, but he sure found him. Or maybe we should say that Jesus found him. The thief on the cross had no plans to search for and find God when he was hung beside Jesus. In fact, he hurled insults at Jesus to begin with, just like the other thief. But then he began to see who Jesus truly was, and everything changed. Neither Paul nor the thief were seeking Jesus, yet they both found forgiveness and salvation in Christ. Compare those accounts to what we read in Matthew 2, verse 1. It reads like this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The Magi from the east came seeking him who has, born king of the, has been born king of the Jews. Why? For we have come to worship him, and they found him. Whether you are someone who has unwittingly stumbled across the spectacular treasure of the gospel, or someone who has been seeking for it for some time, it doesn't matter. There are no preconditions for turning from sin and turning to Christ. The opportunity is being presented to you right here right now. Take it. My third point is connected to the previous one. The kingdom of heaven is acquired by personal transaction. Note that in neither parable was there a servant or family member or an employee involved in the acquisition of the treasure. The one who found the priceless treasure is the one who was involved in the acquisition of the treasure. So, too, with entering the king of, kingdom of heaven. You cannot enter it on another's coattails. 
You do not enter the kingdom of heaven on account of your family connection, your nationality, or even your membership in a church. You could attend church every time there's an opportunity. Be a baptized, card-carrying member. And as we read in Matthew 7:22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Your transaction with Jesus must be personal. He must know you. In order to acquire the priceless treasure of the kingdom of heaven, you must personally do business with the one who presently holds that treasure. You must personally do business with God. And there's a transaction involved. In each parable, the individual in question gave up all that they had to acquire the treasure. You must do the same. But don't fear. God is not going to leave you destitute. It is quite possible that he will hand those things back to you to use or to take care of for a time. Keep in mind, however, that they are now his and he can demand them from you at any time. But here is the promise. In every case, what the men received was of far greater value than anything they had to give up for it. No earthly treasure you, can, you have can heal a broken relationship, give peace to a troubled conscience, or release you from the burden of unforgiven sin. Only Jesus can do that. 19th century Scottish preacher Thomas Guthrie wrote, in the blood of Christ to wash out sin's darkest stains, in the grace of God to purify the foulest heart, in peace to calm life's roughest storms, in hopes to cheer guilt's darkest hour, in a courage that defies death and descends calmly into the tomb, in that which makes the poorest rich, and without which the richest are poor indeed, the gospel has treasures far than east sorry, has treasures greater far than east or west unfold, and its rewards more precious are than all the stores of gold. Talk to anyone who is a genuine follower of Jesus. If they have walked with him for a while, they'll tell you that there's a cost involved, and some have suffered some pretty significant costs. But every follower of Jesus will tell you it is worth it. Remember what the Apostle Paul stated, who suffered beatings and torture and imprisonment and shipwreck. He said, I count it all loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And here we come to my fourth and final point. The kingdom of heaven is the source of true joy. Earlier, I mentioned that When compared to the treasure of a lifetime with Judy, a car was a pale comparison, and selling it was a small price to pay to gain the joy of sharing my life with her. These two simple but powerful parables of Jesus are essentially telling the same story. But not for the love of a woman, as wonderful as that may be. No, Jesus is telling us that all the things we value in life, all the things that we scrape and sacrifice for, all the things we prize, well, when we understand what we have found in the kingdom of heaven, we will gladly give up those other things for it in order that we don't miss out on it. 
Notice in the first parable in verse 44 that the man in his joy goes and sells all that he has. There's nothing done grudgingly here or with great reluctance. On the contrary, he joyfully sells his other stuff to acquire this great treasure. We find joy in our treasures. Many treasures, however, only bring fleeting joy. Fame, power, wealth, they can all bring joy, but only for a time, and then it's gone. True and lasting joy can only be found in Jesus Christ and in his kingdom. Why? Because we were made for him. In John 15, Jesus tells us as his disciples to abide in him. By doing so, we bear fruit. He states, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Does God the Father love Jesus? You better believe it. And if Jesus loves us with the same love that the Father loves him, that's an incredible love. Abide in my love, he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In Romans 14, verse 17, Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The result of giving up all that you have in order to appropriate the kingdom of heaven is true and lasting joy that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Do you have that joy? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do you live in the joy of that position? It it can be that we are a child of God, knowing our sins forgiven, and yet not live joyfully. It may be that you have forgotten where your treasure is. Remember that when Jesus talked about our joy, it was in the context of abiding in him. Now, I'm not talking about happiness, which comes from the same root as happening. Often, what's happening around us impacts our happiness. I am talking about a deep-seated joy that is present and steady, even in the storms of life, even in the midst of tears and grief. If you are not experiencing this joy, I would encourage you to assess whether you are dropping in for, with Jesus for a quick visit or truly abiding in him. If you're spending five to ten minutes a day in scripture reading or prayer and an hour a day or more watching the news for more COVID updates, I'd say you're not abiding in him and you're not going to have the joy that Jesus intends for us as his followers. Intentionally set aside time with Jesus and look for ways to infuse it into your whole day. You will find the joy that comes from doing so. Talk to mature believers. Find out what they do to abide. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it's writing verses that are encouraging and uplifting and posting those on post-it notes near the, the sink in the kitchen or in the bathroom or um, setting them up as reminders on their smartphones. All kinds of different things that we could do. 
And if you are not a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to find your treasure in him today. If you're holding back because you're not sure that trading all you hold dear in exchange for what he has to offer will be worthwhile, talk to some people who have been following him for some time and see what they have to say. Chances are, though, if you already have these questions, the Holy Spirit is prompting you to make that transaction right here, right now, to give up the little that you have for the incomparable riches of the treasure that he offers you so freely. I guarantee you will not be disappointed, except if you delay. So do it today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have, through your death on the cross and your resurrection, legitimately earned all the riches of the kingdom of heaven. You are its king. But you also delight to share those riches with us. What you won't share is your throne. So you call us to give up all that we have, those things that hold the allegiance of our hearts. You call us to full surrender of our things, of our authority, of our hearts. You want it all. But in exchange, you give us more than we could possibly comprehend because you give us a relationship with you and the Holy Spirit begins right away the work of transforming us into your image. You give us a new heart, a new spirit, a new desire, and you give us an inheritance that can never be taken from us. Father God, Teach us again as your children to abide in our Savior, to have him saturate our lives with the truth and the joy that comes from being yours. And for those who are not yet your children, Father, show them the exceeding riches of your grace in kindness toward us. In Jesus Christ, amen.